minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are. That's right, if I drop dead, don't worry. I'm going to heaven. Well, that's what somebody told me, and then somebody else told me I was going to hell. This is the Anarchist World this week on the National Community Radio Satellite. A one-hour journey took two hours and 15 minutes, but that's urban living for you. Now, if you know what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power, that's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Simple concepts, very simple concepts. Today I'm going to take a fair bit of the program regarding a little bit of a public housing struggle that's uh, happening, not just in Victoria, but it's happening in Queensland and uh, New South Wales and Tasmania and South Australia and West Australia, the Northern Territory, Australian Capital Territory. Because, as you know, housing affordability has become a significant issue for a large number of Australians, a significant number of Australians. It's a real issue. People are working who are working two or three jobs. Those people not working and rely on Social Security benefits are finding that it is becoming more difficult to find rental property, let alone decent rental property. And the the biggest issue is insecurity. If you've got insecurity in housing, you've got insecurity in your whole life. Think about it. Think about it. There are obviously there are homeless people, over 100,000, 150,000, and another 250,000 couch surfing tonight. Think about it if you find yourself in that situation. So public housing has always been an important component of Australian political thinking since the Second World War. Uh, The creation of public housing was not just to provide emergency accommodation for people in dire need. The idea of providing public housing and allocating resources to expanding public housing was to give people whose income was not enough to buy the private uh, housing market the opportunity to live in a secure, stable environment. Obviously, there are problems around public housing, but most of those problems, to a significant degree, are due to the way that sector of the government's responsibility has been managed. And we could talk about that for years, but I'm not. But I'm particularly interested in what we're doing today in a new organisation called Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia, which was formed about three months ago. Currently, our main basis is in uh, Victoria. And it's fascinating uh, being involved in this campaign because we were asked to uh, assist to organise a campaign regarding Defend and Extend Public Housing Because although Victoria is a Labor government, the policies it has been pushing are not what you would expect from a Labor government regarding public housing. Now, obviously, we all know that the Liberal National Party basically wants to privatise public housing, sell it to the private sector. 
and run it down. The uh, previous Liberal National Party authority in uh, Victoria uh, diddled the public housing sector over a half a billion dollars and had plans to privatise 12,000 dwellings, units and uh, freestanding dwellings which were owned by the public. Now, when it lost the election two years ago, it was felt that the Andrews-led Labor government would actually have a public housing policy which would be able to absorb the large number of people on waiting lists and the large number of people who find it increasingly difficult to access housing in a market which is primarily dominated by investors who get a tax advantage if they buy a second home and uh, rent it out. It's that simple. I mean, why wouldn't you? That's the law. If you have no home, you can't access your superannuation to get a deposit to get into a home. If you've got one home, well, you spend all the time paying off a mortgage or the rent. But if you've got two homes or three or four or five or six or ten or twenty or a hundred or a thousand, you actually get a tax deduction not only is the tenant paying off your home, but you also receive a tax deduction. And that's the situation. We would have expected that by creating a vibrant, strong public housing sector, you would put downward prices, pressure on prices. So let's get back to the Defend and Extend public housing campaign. And it's, it's and the reason I want to talk about it is not just because of that particular campaign, but the way campaigns are organised, managed and, and reaction to campaigns. Now, this campaign is very simple. Though there are a number of organisations involved, our role is, in pu- public interest before corporate interest, our role is to organise uh, the campaign. And our f- current focus is holding a rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House every every um, month, preferably on a parliamentary sitting day, although it's difficult on a parliamentary sitting day because you won't believe this, the Victorian parliamentarians only sit for 52 days a year and in some months they don't sit at all. So you've got to coincide with that. So we had two rallies last year which were, you know, relatively successful, no huge numbers. Just activists who are interested with interesting guest speakers, including one member of the Victorian State Parliament, or two members, the Greens member for uh, Melbourne, Ellen Sandell, and the Green member for uh, Paran. And it was interesting. Low-key rallies, no problems with security, no hassles, nothing. Now, the campaign has gained a little bit of traction. Not a lot of traction, but a little bit of traction because it's aimed specifically at the 88 members of the Legislative Assembly and the 40 members of the Legislative Council of the Victorian Parliament who receive emails and information regarding their campaign, invitations to address the rallies. But the rally we held last week was interesting. It was interesting because we've now moved from phase one of the campaign where the government tried to ignore us to phase two of the campaign where the government is trying to criminalise us, not just in the eyes of the community and the media, but in the eyes of the Victoria Police. And it was interesting to see at the rally last week, which was attended by about 80 people, maximum, maybe 90, 80 to 90 at its height, that we had over 35 police there ringing Parliament House, inspector, senior sergeant, and I'm just thinking about this, I was thinking about this, what's all this about? What information have the Victoria Police who've got better things to do than, you know, waste 35, spend twenty to $30,000, you know, monitoring a two-hour rally of 80 people on the steps of Parliament, Victoria Parliament House? And normally in these situations, what you see is the Victoria Police redeploy their members, but in this particular situation, no members were redeployed. And it's interesting because now we've reached phase two of this campaign because if you can't 
ignore fringe, a fringe group, and that's what we're described as by the uh, minister's office, a fringe group. The next step, and remember I've been an activist for 49 years. Next year will be my 50th year, 50th year as an activist. The next step, the next step is to attempt to discredit and criminalise the people involved in that campaign before it reaches a wider audience. And that's the step we now have. I'm quite confident, but I haven't got any proof, but I'm confident the Housing Minister's office was involved in organising or giving information to the Victoria Police so that they overreacted. And I've got, an, I've got a message for the Victorian Housing Minister, Mr Foley. We're not going to go away. We're not criminals. We're not fringe dwellers. We're not wild-eyed zealots. We are ordinary and extraordinary, both, people who see access to housing as a right, not a privilege, and see access to secure housing has the major issue in 2017. And irrespective of the governments and the medias and the police's attempts to try to paint us as some type of loose cannon, some type of organisation that, you know, you know, promotes violent activity. The facts are we are Victorians, Australians, who come together in a very peaceful way and invite the members of the Victorian Parliament to join us on those days to outline their plans for public housing. And this is the type of campaign that is going on around the country. I mean, we're messengers. Nothing more, nothing less. We are messengers. We are saying that if you don't change your policies, there will be major political consequences for the Andrews-led Labor government in in Victoria. And major political consequences for all governments, state governments and federal governments, which refused to tackle the issue of housing affordability. See, the dilemma is language. We're involved in a debate where terms which are diametrically opposed are used to describe the same thing. Because the buzzwords in any government communication regarding public housing in Victoria, I'm not familiar with other states, but the buzzword in this state, the state of Victoria, is social housing and community housing. And government representatives and even activists use the words as if they are interchangeable, as if they are the same thing. Social housing, community housing, public housing, it's all the same thing. Well, it's not. It's a totally different concept. Public housing is owned by the state, maintained by the state, financed by the state and managed by the state. That is public housing. The people of the state own the infrastructure and they invest in creating adequate public housing to maintain social order in the community and decrease all the problems that occur in a community when there is a large section of the community which is homeless or is paying 50 to 60 or 70% of their income to pay off a mortgage or rent. That's what public housing is is about. It's an investment by the community for the benefit of not just the people who use that asset, 
but for the benefit of all, everybody in that community, rich and poor. Whether employed, self-employed, wage earners, unemployed, social security beneficiaries, it's for the benefit of each and every one of us. That is public housing. Now, social housing and community housing are different concepts. And what we've seen around the country is the government divesting itself of its responsibility to its citizens, to the private sector. Whether that private sector is organised on a not-for-profit basis or a profit basis doesn't matter. It is still a private sector. And when a government talks about transferring titles, which it has already done in Victoria, to the social housing sector or the community housing sector, that is privatisation. Because the issue about public housing is that you don't have deserving and non-deserving poor, but in social and community housing, these privately owned and privately run organisations have their own sets of rules regarding who they will take as a tenant. And then they have their own sets of rules in terms of the way that place is managed and the financial return from that place. So we are set for a titanic struggle and that struggle revolves around the idea that you can't transfer or privatise public housing and put it in the hands of the social and community sector. If you want to grow a social and community sector, well, then that's a, a different matter. Now, we don't, we in Defend and Extend Public Housing, see those sectors basically as a backdoor mechanism by which to privatise the public housing sector. And I'm yet to be convinced it's not. Now, if you want to understand what happens when governments outsource their responsibility, look at what's happened to the Commonwealth Employment Service, which was privatised over a decade ago. Look at what's happened to the privatisation of welfare provisions in this country. Look at what's happened to the privatisation of the energy sector. Look at what's happened when the Commonwealth Bank, a publicly owned bank, was privatised. Look at what's happened when Qantas, a publicly owned airline, was privatised and the airports were privatised and the ports are being privatised and childcare is being privatised. And what you get is corporations moving into those areas, providing services for the government providing services for the government at a huge markup. It is common practice in the private sector for every dollar you receive as a government subsidy, whether it's childcare, whether it's provision of welfare services, whether it's uh, providing security or health care on Manus Island and Nauru, 40 cents of every dollar which is allocated to provide that service, goes into the pocket of the organisation who has won that tender, whether it's in terms of profit or in terms of organisational capacity and building of infrastructure, which again remains with that private company. So every time in this country over the last 40 years, we have seen the privatisation of a major essential services and I describe public housing as an essential service and I describe energy security as an essential service 
and I describe having a state-owned bank or a Commonwealth-owned bank as an essential service, we have seen the loss of competition in that sector and that sector being dominated by corporations who are so big they determine the parliamentary agenda. Not only do they determine the parliamentary agenda, they become so big they even refuse to interact with their clients and customers irrespective of all the bodgy protection agencies which are set up by state and federal governments to protect your rights as a so-called consumer. So that's the dilemma. Every time we have seen a major aspect of our society privatised, we have seen increased prices, decreased competition, lousy service and corporations who believe they are beyond the laws of this country. And we don't want to see that happen in the public housing sector. A critical, essential service which should be provided by the state. Because what's the point of having a nation state if it refuses to look after the interests of its citizens? And that's what we have today. We have a nation state which has reverted back to its primary purpose and its primary purpose is to keep those in power in power by exercising a monopoly on the use of force in society. And they exercise that monopoly on the use of force through the courts, through the armed services, through uh, police, through the bureaucracy. And we don't want to see that because the whole purpose of the era of revolution during the 20th century, the deaths of tens of millions, not hundreds of thousands, but tens of millions of people who gave that last drop of blood to change the direction of the state from an apparatus which exercised control through exercising its monopoly on the use of force to crush any opposition in the most brutal fashion, which we see constantly in dictatorships around the world, to an apparatus which is used to provide services and goods for its citizens and creating a secure environment where people can actually develop themselves to their fullest potential. That is the key. That is the key to this, you know, many social community political struggles today. That is the key. Do we abolish the state and replace it with a federation of community and workplace councils which are based on principles of you know, collective ownership, or do we force the state to take on that responsibility which has been ripped out of its hands over the past four to five decades during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution which we are all familiar with. So as I said before, we are here for the long haul. We are here to defend and extend public housing. We are here to defend and extend Medicare. We are here to defend and extend the social security system. We are here to ensure that Parliament does the bidding of the people it theoretically represents. And we will do that job to the best of our ability because things have changed to such a degree that people need to stand up. You can Twitter all you like. 
You can talk all you like. You can shout and scream all you like. You can lash out all you like. But these are tactics which the state incorporates into its infrastructure. They like the violent protester. They love the person who, you know, pitches themselves against the police. They love it because what that does is actually, well, not actually, in reality, what that does is reinforce their need, that society needs them to protect us from the other other. Simple example. In Victoria currently, you've got about 20 kids, 20 teenagers who are totally out of control, okay? Out of control for a variety of reasons. We can look at their backgrounds. I mean, I could go down that path, but I'm not going to. Now, the Murdoch media whipped up a total frenzy, forced the state government to change its opinion, you know, its, its strategy, and now we have a a feeling in the community that it's the end of all time. That we're in the midst of this huge, massive crime tsunami. It's just extraordinary. Well, when you look at the statistics, in the majority of cases, crime is going down. The number of people who are find themselves children in remand is going down. But we have this climate, this hysteria that's been created regarding this situation. And this hysteria is what government wants because it says we are there to protect you from them. While we say we are here to protect you from government, from (coughs) from the actions of unaccountable governments. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Um, you can ring me on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Don't expect me to answer the phone. Leave a message. I'll get back to you. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Other websites you may want to have a look at, public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. Have a look at their Facebook page. Download the application form to join public interest before corporate interest. New political party, which is the antidote to the divided nation people. You can go to tunnamall.org website the uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing uh, Facebook page. Have a look at that. You can go to my personal Facebook page and see the things I'm personally involved in. No, you won't know how long I spend in the toilet, what colour underpants I wear, what I eat, but the political activities that I'm involved in. And uh, almost every day is a little thought bubble, give you some idea about what I'm thinking, and sometimes it's not very pleasant. Uh, the uh, Facebook page is Toscano for the public. Toscano, the number for the public. So go to the Facebook page, have a look at it. But you do have choices. People say, oh, we've got no choices. You know, there are two types of groups of people I, I despise. I don't despise them individually, but I despise them as a, as a group. The first group I despise is the Gunner tribe. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. At the end of the day, they do nothing. That's a huge Australian tribal group, the Gunner tribe. They've got their own totems, you know, the couch, the net, their forefinger. That's the that's the the Gunner tribe. Then you've got the somebody should do something about that tribe. You know, sits back and says, oh, things are crook in Talarook. Somebody should do something about that. Never thinking that that somebody could be them. 
And then there's the, I've got all the excuses in the world tribe. I'm too old, I'm too young, I've got responsibilities, I've got to go to work, I go to school, I've got a disabled uh, parent, and the list goes on and on. You know who you are. The key is, we're not asking for masses of time. For example, today, today, if you're listening to this program today and you're in the city of Melbourne, if you listen to this program today in the city of Melbourne, only in the city of Melbourne, you can join the Wednesday Action Group, formed in 1999 to reclaim public space and promote particular issues on the streets of Melbourne. Long history of, you know, battling with police, council officers, private security guards, but still there since 1999. Today they'll be outside Southern Cross Station at the corner of Spencer Street and Collins Street in Melbourne. Small group of people, big impact. Big impact. Think about it. You don't need a mass organisation. You don't need charismatic leaders you don't need you know you don't even need a website you can organize these things as long as it's related <clears throat> to the changes that are required now look i think personally that we require a lot of changes and that most of these changes won't come through the parliamentary process but i do believe that you can actually change people's lives by interacting with the parliamentary process and putting pressure on people who can make decisions which have impacts on tens of thousands of people. Irrespective of whether the strings in Parliament are pulled by unaccountable corporations or executives or corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders irrespective of the human, social, environmental costs and national costs, irrespective of that, you can still have a, an impact. See, I also dis- despise those who think that nothing ever changes. There's no point. It'll never change. It's always the same. Well, it's not always the same. We don't have children working in mines in this country today. And we don't have children working in mines in this country today because of the creation and the extension of a trade union movement which has been criminalised in the eyes of most Australians by the corporate-owned media and successive, successive Liberal National Party governments at the state and federal level. How do you think, how do you think everything you take for granted today came in? to your lap why do you how do you think we have a social security system why do you think we have a medicare system or public education or public health care or the remnants of a vibrant public housing sector how do you think it all came about How do you think you have minimum wages? (coughs) Holiday pay. Sick pay. It didn't come because some wonderful employer bent down and said, thanks, matey, you've been a good boy, you've been a good girl. You know, he's a wage rise. It came through people coming together and struggling for that. I say to people, Remember the toll puddle martyrs. There were no trade unions or unions in the British Empire before 1826. And in 1826, six agricultural labourers came together under a tree, under a tree, and actually recited an oath which centred around collective bargaining. And what happened to those men? They were tried, jailed, and sent to Australia as convicts for having the audacity to argue for the creation of organisations which represented working people's interests. Two years later, they were pardoned and sent back to England because of the response, response to what happened, the public response that happened to them. How do you think public housing began in in this country? At the end of World War II, 
when returned servicemen and women returned back to this country and found that nothing had changed for them, although they and their friend, many of their friends had paid the ultimate price protecting this country, that many of them found themselves homeless or living in substandard rental accommodation, never been able to enter the property market. How do you think that happened? Public housing happened through that struggle. How do you think the struggle to introduce Medibank, it was called in those days, in 1973? It was the end point of a struggle that went over decades to provide all Australians with access to a a basic standard of healthcare. And today, and today in this country, still, despite all the attempts by governments at the federal level, to dismantle Medicare and cripple the public hospital sector and place it in private hands. How do you think that happened? It happened through political struggle. It happened through people getting on the streets. It happened through people forcing political parties to change their policies and their programs and ensuring when they were elected that that legislation was passed to create that. How do you think the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which government is trying to strip bare today, happened after decades of struggle by activists and supporters of people with disabilities, whether they're physical, intellectual, congenital or acquired, fighting to ensure that they had a basic standard of care and as the program is rolled out it will change the lives of tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of Australians who are looking after people with major disabilities in this country and it happened through struggle and that only happened two or three years about five years four years ago and while we've got governments you know saying if you don't pass these cuts to the social security sector, we will not give any money to the National Disability Insurance Scheme, you know, and people see through that blackmail. If I was involved in that type of activity, I'd be in jail facing blackmail charges. I'd be in court facing blackmail charges, but not the government of the day. It's called politics. So how do you think all these things happen? It happened because of people like you and me who are willing, willing to take on the big boys and girls, especially the big boys, who are willing to take on the state apparatus, who are willing to take on the parliamentarians, who are willing to take on the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, who should be standing up. But in most cases, we find them sitting in the back rows, cowering under the street, under under the seats, frightened of the big boys and girls in front of them. And that's what we've seen in the last 40 years. We have seen the rollback of rights and privileges we have won as human beings over generations of struggle. So... The ball's in your court. We're playing tennis. The ball's in your court. You can say, I'm not playing. It's all too hopeless. It'll never change. Sit in a corner and suck your thumb. You can hit the ball back and say, Joe, not good enough. Not good enough. Give me some more options. I'm interested. Give me some more options. I'm still in the game. And I can try to hit that ball back, which I'm, which I'm doing today. We can go to bed. <laughs> They're your options. The problem is, even if you go to bed and pull the covers over your head, life has a horrible, horrible habit of knocking on the door, walking in and pulling the covers off your body. And that's why... We have fought for so long for a decent social security net. Because even if life knocks on the door, walks through the bedroom door and rips off the, rips off the uh, 
bed sheets. And there you are, naked or in your pyjamas, shivering away, thinking the end is nigh. The reality is that if you've got a decent social security safety net in this country, that the end is not nigh, that you know that your basic needs will be looked after. And that's why we need people with a little bit of courage, a little bit of imagination, who've got a little bit of time. We're not asking you for money. Time. Time to get involved. Now, I'm broadcasting today from a community radio station. Do you know how the community radio station network came into force? You just think it's, it was always there? It wasn't always there. It came into force in 1973 because the Whitlam-led Labor government needed a mechanism. This is before the internet, before social media, needed a mechanism by which to break the monopoly of the corporate-owned media the television monopoly, the newspaper monopoly, the monopoly of people who set the political, social and cultural agenda every day. They needed to break that monopoly. And it attempted to, and the key word is attempted to break that monopoly by issuing radio licences to communities around the country and not only issuing licences but giving financial support to set up an alternative mechanism via which to communicate with the people of this country. And although the internet may, may have put a dent in the power of community radio, it is still an important mechanism by which millions of Australians access information they can't access on other platforms. So I'm sitting here in a studio in the community radio station. I've been coming to this studio for the last 39 years. That's almost four decades, since 1977. Four decades. 40, I should say, 40 years. This is 2017. 40 years. And the power of community radio is based on the fact that it's independent. It is independent radio. Now, community radio has gone into two directions. You've got those community radio stations which are totally dependent on government support or get 90 to 80% of their money comes from government. And they find that self-censorship plays a role in their survival. It's a little bit like all these privately run organisations, whether they're for profit or not for profit, which take government welfare contracts, you never hear them complaining about government policy because when they sign the bloody contract, you know, there's a little section that says you can't publicly complain about government policy if you're going to take government money. Now, the community station I'm involved in, Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, which is broadcast nationally, this program is broadcast nationally through the Community Radio Network, to a significant degree relies on contributions to survive. I mean, we may not have the flashiest studios in the world and, and the few staff that are here aren't paid very much, but what we have is a mechanism via which I can walk into this studio every week and give an independent analysis knowing knowing that some bureaucrat somewhere is not going to say, we don't want that person on air and get rid of them. Like happened to me in 1999 on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation when I was giving John Howard a little bit of a heartache and a bellyache. And we found that it didn't take long to get rid of people like me off the airwaves. And why am I talking about this particular radio station today? Because it relies on listener sponsors to survive. That's right, listener sponsors to survive. And you can become a listener sponsor and ensure that community radio stations, not just community radio stations, 3CR in Melbourne, but community radio stations across Australia continue to provide independent analysis, free of the threat 
of governments withdrawing funding and closing down these networks. So if you are listening to this program in Melbourne or regional Victoria or anywhere in Australia and you listen on a regular basis, I encourage you to become a subscriber to Community Radio 3CR. And it's very simple. Pick up the phone right now. Pick up the phone. And all you're going is 039 419 8377. 03 419 8377. I think it's $70 for a year if you're waged, $35 for your unwaged. Pick up the phone right now, become a sponsor, listener sponsor. And the thing about the radio station I'm involved with, which is broadcast by the Community Radio Network, is the fact that listener sponsors have a say in the radio, in the running of the station. You don't get that very often. So what I'm saying is you've got three sectors in the community. You've got the private sector, the public sector and the community sector. And Community Radio has played and continues to play a vibrant part in the lives of many people across this country. And if you want Community Radio to survive and expand and prosper and provide different opinions, I never use the word alternative, different opinions about what's happening around the world today, it's important that you support your local Community Radio station. Whichever radio station you're listening to, give them a ring. Offer to become a volunteer. Do a few hours' work you know, at the station. Learn some new skills. I mean, every community radio station loves to hear from people who want to volunteer. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. I encourage you to access a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. So we're on a lot of platforms these days. You like that word? Platforms. But unfortunately, a lot of these platforms are being hogged by large corporations. They're not interested in national well-being. I'll give you an example. There's a little bit of business going on at the minute between a senior executive in Channel 7 and one of their personal assistants. I don't want to go into the ins and outs. I'm not particularly interested. But what's fascinating is how influence is used to isolate and actually marginalise somebody who stood up to that organisation. How the whole apparatus is used. And this is what we see all around us. Invisible power. Not overt power, but invisible power. We've got the minister in Victoria, housing minister and his department, trying to criminalise, defend and extend public housing. We have corporations who do their best to criminalise trade unions in this country. We have a media which, irrespective of what happens, you know, on the world wide web, in the Twitter sphere, Instagram, irrespective, YouTube, which continues to set the daily political agenda because people respond to what is written, what is seen, what is heard in the corporate-owned media and the government-gilded ABC and 99% of all internet commentary is based on that response. So these organisations continue to set the agenda. Why do you think Mr Murdoch continues to support and bankroll the Australian, which has never made a profit in its 50-year history in this country? because he understands the power it has to set the political, social, cultural, national agenda in this country on a daily basis. Just look at what's happening to the Andrews-led Labor government 
and the Murdoch empire in this country. Just look at what happens when you get a new Labor leader who goes, you know, cap in hand to see the master in the US of A, Rupert. So they still think they are the kingmakers. What they've forgotten is we are the kingmakers. We are the kingmakers because we, the people, are the ultimate authority in this country. We are the ultimate authority. Ultimate political power doesn't rest in the hands of unaccountable corporations, in the hands of governments, in the hands of the state, in the hands of the bureaucracy. It rests in the hands of the people and we have the opportunity to change things. The program is podcast. Download it from 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can become my friend by going to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the public. You can become a member of public interest before corporate interests by downloading the application form from pipsy.net. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website and see what we're doing, anarchistmedia.org. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World This Week on your local community radio station. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.